Good morning. Good morning and welcome to our worship service. We'll begin this morning by singing number 636. someone more dearly brothers and sisters. How's everybody doing, all right? Well, you got, you're a little quiet this morning. Yeah. Uh, uh, security? Security? Uh, I'd like to welcome everybody to uh, North Provide Church of Christ, especially our visitors. We are very happy that you're here. We want you to just hang around a little bit after worship service so we can get to know you. Now here at North Provada, and I, I say this, we, we, know, we know that God is looking out for us. God knows what's best for us. So we worship God according to his word. He tells how to do it, and we worship him in spirit and truth. So I'd like you all to participate in our worship service. And our minister is going to give you the message. There are going to be some nuggets that he's going to give you. And we could take those wonderful words from our Heavenly Father and apply it to our life so that we can grow. Please pray with me. 
Father, we, we come to you. Thank you for the opportunity we have to, to pray to you. And, and thank you for your, your love, Father. Your love where you send your, your son, Jesus, to die for our sin. Father, you have taken care of our sin problems. And all we have to do is trust in you and just be obedient to you. Father, we thank you for this body here at North Brevard. We ask that you continually to help us grow spiritually, move closer to you, Father, and try to do our best to take up our cross and follow you. Father, this world is, is, is just terrible. We uh, ask you to, to use us. Let us be your mouthpiece. Let us be your, your uh, feet to go and share the good news, the gospel, with this world. Father, we pray for our young people. Father, we pray that they continue to say yes to you, Father, and no to this world and the way it operates. Father, again, we, uh, we thank you for being able to come to you in prayer. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us, Father, so uh, you know it's just what we need and continually to, to heal those who, are, who have spiritual and physical problems, Father. Father, stay with us, be with us, continue to love us, and Father, we pray we continue to love one another. We pray this prayer in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Mine eyes are
837 every hour. prayer this morning. Father, we come to you with a grateful heart, just thanking you for this opportunity to be able to come to you in prayer. Father, we need you every hour of our lives. We need your presence. We need your blessings. We need you directing and guiding our lives. Father, we know that you're the creator of this world in which we live. We recognize you as our God, our Savior, our Redeemer. We thank you, Father, for blessing us with another day. And we thank you, Father, for this first day of the week that we're able to come together as a body of believers. Where we come together to encourage and strengthen one another. Where we come to worship you. Where we come to open your holy word for guidance and strength in our lives to help us to grow closer to you in prayer and to fellowship with one another. Father, we're just so thankful to be able to be able to be called your children. And we ask, Father, that you help us in our spiritual walk to be strong, 
We pray for courage to overcome those things which are holding us back and keeping us from moving forward and growing closer to you. We're thankful, Father, for being such a loving and caring God that we can call you our God and our Savior, who sent your Son to this lost and dying world to give himself a pool upon this pool cross of Calvary, that we can have the redemption and the relationship to be called sons and daughters of yours. Father, we come to you now praying for the many of this congregation who are sick and needing your prayers. And Father, as we list off names this morning, there's maybe other names that they're being added and being brought up to you. And Father, we just pray for them and as we collectively pray together. We're praying, Father, for continued recovery for Leah Robinson, for Betty Lorner, for Bobby Securo, and asking, Father, that you make their bodies strong and you return them to their much desired health back. We pray, pray Father, for Kyle Nobles and his health concerns along with uh, the prayer request for the Lennon Noble sons. We also pray, Father, for the upcoming surgery for Dennis Rockard and his eye and asking, Father, for success and being able to bring his sight back. And we also pray, Father, for others at this time that our names are coming up to you that you, we know individually and that we're praying for. Father, we're also praying for those that are lonely, that have lost loved ones, those that are homebound and unable to get out and about right now. I'm also praying, Father, for those that are ongoing, undergoing pressures at work and uncertainties of work and asking, Father, for your blessings upon them as well. We ask, Father, for the blessings upon this church as well, the leadership for Matt. Help us, Father, to work together and work as one Unite us, Father. We pray, Father, for our young people. We pray, Father, for the two that graduated from high school and that they move on to other elements and as we celebrate them tonight. We also pray, Father, for this great nation in which we live. And we pray, Father, that you revive us and bring this country back to you. We pray for our military and we pray, Father, for those that are away from home serving and protecting this great land in which we live. We ask now, Father, as you go with us the remainder of the service, guide us, protect us, forgive us of our wrongs. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. To help us prepare our thoughts for the Lord's Supper, Lord of our highest love,
This morning I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 1, tail end of verse 26, 27, and the very beginning of 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. When you, when you think about the, the last part of that, where God blessed them, even in Genesis chapter 1, this table is part of that blessing. The gift that Christ made on the cross is part of that blessing. This table is not only about condemnation, it's also about redemption. It's not about good, it's not about evil, it's about both. It's not about this world, it's not about heaven, it's about both. We, we live here, but we need to be focused on there. So I ask that you not only consider this world, but heaven as well as we go to God in prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together to worship you, to learn the gifts that you want to impart to us, the knowledge and the wisdom that will not only make us better people, but will make us more like you to meet the intention of your creation as you had envisioned it and not how it has become. Father, we ask that you allow us to examine ourselves, look at our lives, but also look at what they should be. Not in a way to be discouraged, but in a way to be encouraged. Grateful that we have the gift of the forgiveness and the fact that you know we had to learn and it's a journey. So Father, all we ask is help us on that journey. Help us keep our eyes, our hearts, and our minds affixed on you. When we stumble, pick us up. Help us. And these things we ask in your son's name, in Jesus' name, amen. Let us continue in prayer for the cup. Father, we're grateful that you were willing to put your son on that cross and have his blood spilt for us so that he would pay the price that we couldn't pay and that he was that perfect sacrifice for us. That gift enables us and shows us such a demonstration of love that we will never be able to pay back, but we just ask that with our service to you, we are able to express the gratitude for the great gift you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let us give thanks for the offering. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the many blessings that we have living in this country where we are far blessed beyond most people on earth. You have given us material abundance. You have given us the opportunities for employment. You have just blessed us endlessly. Father, we ask that you help us give back a small portion of what you've given us so that your work can be furthered on this earth and in this area. We ask that you give the elders the wisdom and guidance to use the funds that are contributed to best maximize how we can out do outreach in this community and serve this congregation in this local area. Father, as always, let us give with a cheerful heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I'll be bringing John 7, verses 14 and 16. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is that it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but this who sent me. At this time, children and their teachers may go to their classes. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will, please, while we sing our next hymn. I'm also going to ask for a lot of help. I got up with a very scratchy throat this morning, as you can tell. And it's too late at that point in time to get somebody else. So you pop a through a few throat lozenges and you go with it. So I'm going to need your help a lot on this, okay?
That's a good song to end right before I get up. Now, listen, if I get a little loud, it's his fault today. That was beautiful from up front. <clears throat> so normally I don't, I just got to get through a couple little formalities here, but I want to say thank you to everybody who helped with VBS. Um, it was a good success. Um, we didn't have the numbers we normally have when it comes to the, the kids, but the ones who were there, I think, benefited greatly. And I know, um, just talking to my children, they had a blast, and to many of the other children at the church. So thank you so, so much. It's a, it's a big effort that goes by really fast um, when, you're, when you're part of it. But um, super excited about that. Also remember tonight we are honoring the, the graduates. It's a little bit late because we had to postpone it. Um, from that matter, Leah keeps doing better and better, so keep praying because the prayers are definitely working, and uh, she knows it. She knows it. She's already declared it many times to my family, to her family, that God's been with her the whole time. And she knows that the prayers are going up for her, and she knows that's why she's here. So, um, just those things real quick I wanted to say um, before I get started. So we're in our series of Moments with God. And we are in James. And we're going to have a little bit of fun with James. Can you imagine being a sibling of the Son of God? Could you really imagine? Can you put your mind around what it must have been like to be a sibling of the Son of God? I like this picture. I usually don't use too many cartoon type pictures, but I like this idea. You've got Joseph, who was the carpenter. He is known as the carpenter. He's probably a very good carpenter. Um, and you've got potentially Jesus and his brother James sitting right there working on something that they've been taught by their father. What was it like? But before we go there, let's play a trivia question, shall we? I don't know if you like these or not, but I like them. How many siblings did Jesus have? <laughs> uh, I think you spoke for everybody in that moment, didn't you? How many siblings? Anybody want to take a guess? Two, five, three, four. You're all wrong. He had at least six. Did you know that? He had at least six. He had four brothers that we know of for sure, and he had at least two sisters. That's found in Matthew 13. They're proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God, and the people in the crowd are questioning Jesus being the Son of God. They're like, no, no, no. This can't be the Messiah. He's the carpenter's son. This is Joseph's son. We saw him. We know he grew up right here. This, is, this can't be right. And, and oh, by the way, we know all four of his brothers too. Oh, and not only do we know all four of his brothers, look at those names. I thought those were interesting names as well. But all the sisters are here with us too. And I just want to point out all in the S on sisters means plural. So there's at least two, which is where we get back to at least six. We don't know how many sisters he had. We know he had, he had multiple sisters. That's what we know. So imagine growing up in this house. So some of you grew up in a house like mine where Seven kids doesn't seem like that much. Some of you grew up in a house unlike mine where your one brother or sister or your couple brothers or sisters was just about all you could take. 
So what was it like growing up with your sibling being not just your sibling, but the son of God? Let's just talk about that for a minute. What about his birth? What about his birth? Do you think anybody else of these siblings, when, he, when they were born, wise men came from afar? Bringing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How many times do you think Mary and Joseph talked about that day? You remember when those, when those wise men came from afar bringing these gifts? Or, or maybe, um, maybe James, little James, needed a bike. And Mary was like, all right, we'll use some of this gold that the wise men gave us to get on a bike. And then next thing you know, James and Jesus are fighting. He's just, Hey, don't fight over that bike. Jesus got it for you. No? What about the star? What about the angels? How many times do you think the kids heard about Jesus and who he was? Just knowing about sibling rivalry. Right? Even the scriptures say brothers are born for what? Adversity. It can mean two things. One, to make life tougher, or when life gets tough. Probably a little bit of both. But I guarantee from birth, they knew that their birth did not add up to the birth of Jesus. Moms, pay attention. Some of the rivalry in your house you create. Dads, pay attention. Especially when we get to this one. Can you imagine growing up with a sibling that never sinned? Oh, don't act like that wouldn't drive you crazy. Right? How many times do you think Mary was getting on to James and she's like, James, why can't you be more like your brother? Anybody else ever hear that? But he never sinned. He never did anything wrong. If he got in trouble, he got in trouble for reasons that he shouldn't have got in trouble for, which was probably training for the cross. And I'm sure he got in trouble at times because I'm sure he got sucked in with the rest of the siblings. And dad came over and was like, all right, who did it? Who did it? Who did it? And not even thinking about it was just like, you know what? Forget it. And got them all. I mean, that's normal life. That's sometimes how it goes. So his birth was different. He never sinned, had to be annoying, never getting in trouble. Oh, and by the way, he was brilliant. Don't mistake this fact. He was brilliant. He's a little kid getting left in Jerusalem, mesmerizing all of the learned people, mesmerizing all of the scholars of the day, mesmerizing them on his knowledge, on his IQ, on his brilliance. So not only does he never sin, but he's probably smarter than you too. And then maybe the most, most crucial part of the whole thing. You know, when I was young, my dad worked a lot. So my mom was at home and she was trying to teach me the right way. And I've told you guys before, 
I'm a why guy. If you tell me something, the first question that comes to my mind is why. So if you say, hey, Matt, don't put your hand on that hot burner. If I don't hear the word hot, I'm going to say why. That's how I am. So my mom would try to explain things to me, and I'm sure some of my siblings would just listen to my mom and be like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Not me. I would argue everything to make sure we talked about every single aspect, detail, anything that had to do with the question that was being presented. And she used to tell me all the time, because there were times where I'd have her spin in, and I did it on purpose. Sometimes I wasn't looking for the truth, I'll be honest. Sometimes it was just to get her to spin, because I knew if I got her spinning, she'd give up. And I knew she'd give up when she'd say, you know what, Matt? One day you're going to grow up and you're going to be a lawyer. Because you can argue about anything. And you know, I realized in those moments today that God was preparing me for now. Because when I look at scripture, I still do the same thing. I'm dissecting every little, I'm trying to look for every little nook, cranny, detail. What's God trying to say? But that, what I'm trying to say is that that skill doesn't start when you become an adult. Some of you have been good with words your whole life. Some of you, it's extremely hard to beat in an argument because you're so good with words and your words, you can use them in a moving way and even take somebody who might disagree with you at some point in time and turn them into somebody that agrees with you. Some of you are thinking of that word manipulation. It's not always manipulation. Sometimes it's truth, but even a good speaker can manipulate if he's not or she is not careful. So imagine growing up, you know, how many times do you think James debated Jesus and lost? I don't think it was very easy to be Jesus' sibling, to be honest with you. I think he loved you all the time. I think he was a great sibling, and I think because of that at times, because you weren't, I think it was probably very difficult. Which brings us to John chapter 7. This is the main text of, our, of where we're going to be. The only other place we're really going today is Acts chapter 1. But John chapter 7, we're getting into the Feast of Booths. And the Feast of Booths is in, where they're going is Judea. And Jesus is telling his family that they can go ahead and go in front of him because he's not going to come. Because if he goes to Judea, they're going to kill him. They want to kill him. They're going to kill him. And he's telling them, my time has not yet come for me to die. So I'm not going to go. And his brothers, they say something to him. Now, now I don't know which brothers this is, but I'm going to assume James is part of this. In fact, for me, I think I know James is part of this. Verse 3, so his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. Jesus, if you're really who you say you are, go show the world. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. You're, you're contradicting yourself. You're running and you're hiding and you're, and, you're, and you're staying in this small area. You need to go out and show yourself to everybody. If you say this is who you are, won't, don't you want everybody to know who you are? Can you see? In some ways it's a little condescending, isn't it? 
In some ways, it's kind of saying, if you really are who you are, aren't you acting kind of like a hypocrite? Like, aren't you doing the wrong thing? And verse 5 says, for not even his brothers believed in him. Now, that's the other part that sometimes I can't wrap my mind around. How do you live with somebody so long, day in, day out, listen to what they say, see what they do, see how they treat people, see how they act, and not know he's something different. He's not like everybody else. He doesn't make the same mistakes as everybody else. He doesn't speak the same way as everybody else. He doesn't think the same way as everybody else. Of course, Jesus says to him, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. And then he says something extremely important. I think we really got to wrap our heads around this, too. I don't want to miss this point, even though this isn't that necessarily that moment with James. I don't want us to miss this point. He says the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You come back tonight. We're talking about Hosea. God's going to say something even clearer than the way of the world's works are evil. Tonight in Hosea. So he tells them, y'all go ahead of me. I'm not coming. And he stays and they go to Judea. Then it says this, verse 10, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. So now the whole family doesn't think he's coming. Nobody thinks he's coming. He's kind of snuck in the back door, if you will. And the Jews, what are they doing? They're looking for Jesus. They're like, where is he at? He's got to be here. It's the Feast of Booths. He's got to be here. What are they looking for him for? They want to learn something? They excited to see Jesus? Some. Look what it says. While some said he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet, for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly to him. You know, that's one thing that the world knows very well is if they can get you in fear, especially afraid to talk about someone or something, they can still win the argument just because you're silent. See, the people had all kinds of opinions on Jesus, but nobody was willing to publicly display those opinions. Why? For fear of who was in charge and the power that they had over them and what threat might come to them or their family by opening their mouth. This has happened all through history. This isn't a new thing. This isn't a just in Judea thing. This is the way the world works. So in the middle of the feast, Jesus decides he's going to go to the temple and reveal himself and he begins to teach. And the Jews, it says, marveled um, at the things he was saying, and they actually said, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? He didn't come from our traditional schools. He's not from the Harvards and the Yales and the, and the Princetons and the, you name it. He's not from that. How can he be so smart? How can he know all this if nobody ever taught him? That's what they're saying. Who's his rabbi? Who did he learn under? 
You know, it's funny, they forgot, didn't they? They forgot. They had that moment for a couple days in the temple. They knew they should have been looking for him. He was just a kid teaching people deep truths about the scriptures that men who have been studying the scriptures fervently their whole lives still had not figured out, but yet they forgot about him. Who is this guy? And then he says, so Jesus answered them, and this, this, don't forget this statement because this is the statement they put him on the cross for. This is the part that sent everybody over the edge. This is the statement he also said when they tried to push him off the cliff in his own hometown because he read the scroll of Isaiah and said, everything Isaiah was talking about, that Messiah you've been waiting for, it's me. This is what he's saying in this moment too. He says, my teaching is not mine, but it's but his who sent me. If anyone's will, and this, this, is, this is probably one of the more important parts that I didn't um, highlight for you guys. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. If I'm up here to speak for Matt Robinson, because Matt Robinson knows everything, and you should always listen to Matt Robinson, because Matt Robinson can't be wrong, guess what? When I'm right, you're going to go, wow, Matt Robinson, he's really smart, man. I should, I should listen to him. When I'm wrong, you're going to crush me. But if I speak on behalf of God, Who gets the glory? Then he says, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. He doesn't lie. Now he's going to tell you why they want to kill him. And I love the way he says this. He's talking about Moses and how Moses gave him the law. And, and you know, a Jewish boy, when he's born, he's supposed to be circumcised on a very specific day. Anybody know what that day is? The eighth day. That's right. On the eighth day, he's supposed to be circumcised. Well, what happens if the eighth day is the Sabbath? Do you wait till the ninth day? Do you do it a day early on the seventh day? No, because you'd be breaking the law. But wait, but wait. You're not allowed to do works on the Sabbath either. So you're in a conundrum. You've got the eighth day, which it has to be done, and you've got the Sabbath where you're not supposed to work. What did they do? They circumcised those kids on the eighth day. That's what they did. And Jesus is saying, you never broke the law when you did that. But here I am. I've done one work in your presence on the Sabbath. And what did I do? I healed somebody. I healed somebody. I healed their whole body. And because of this, you want to kill me. This is why you want to kill me. You marvel at the work, but you still want to kill me because of when I did it. You know what else he says to them? How are y'all coming after me over the law when none of y'all keep it? And then the crowd starts to wake up. I love this part. Because now they're starting to see the truth. Because here's the deal. Where's he at? Don't forget the place he's at. He's at the temple in Judea. He's at the synagogue in Judea. 
What's he doing? He's proclaiming who he is and he's teaching the crowds. And the crowd is sitting there and they're listening to him speak boldly and they're starting to whisper amongst themselves because man, he's starting to make some really good points, guys. And this would be about the time where somebody should rush in and kind of rip them off stage and take them away. But nobody does it. And the crowd starts going, hold on, hold on. Isn't this the guy they want to kill? Why isn't anybody doing anything? He's like up here destroying all their arguments that they've been teaching us with the word of God. Why isn't anybody doing it? Isn't he the one that, wait, maybe they figured out he's the Christ. Maybe they figured out he is who he says he is. Then he says this, verse 29. Yet again, you can underline this in your Bible because this is what got him killed. I know him being God, for I come from him. And he sent me. It was his will that I came. I'm the one that's been prophesied about. So they were seeking, <coughs> excuse me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. In other words, it wasn't the will of God. So even though he was in Judea, even though all these people had been sent to arrest him by the Pharisees and the chief priests, he wasn't arrested and no one would even touch him. And then it says, yet many of the people believed in him. When the Christ appears, this is what they said about him. When the Christ appears, if Jesus isn't the Christ, when the Christ does appear, will he actually do more signs than what we've already seen from this man? How many more signs does he have to do before we start to believe that he is who he says he is? Now imagine being James, because James is, don't forget this part, James is in the crowd. He's in the crowd that starts off and they're saying, yeah, he's a good man or no, he's leading him astray. Yeah, he might be a prophet. Some say, yeah, maybe he's the Messiah. Others say, no, he's a lunatic. He's in that crowd. <clears throat> and what did his brother say to him before he ever came to Judea? Why don't you go over there and show them who you are? When they show up and they're having the debate over the law of Moses and the Sabbath and all that, do you think it ever dawned on James? Wait, he already has. He already has shown them who they are. Now the crowd is saying, how many more signs do we need before we realize that this is the Messiah? How much more could somebody actually do in our presence? Think that rung a bell with James? And I love this part right here because the Pharisees heard the crowds muttering these things about and the chief priests and Pharisees and officers to arrest him. I got a little ahead of myself on that. And then in verse 45, when they come back, remember, no hand would touch him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why do you not bring him? Why didn't you bring him? We sent you to arrest him. And yet here you come back and there's no Jesus. And they simply say, no one ever spoke like this man. We couldn't arrest him. The whole crowd was with him. Not only that, but the more we listened to him, the more he changed our own opinions of him. I've never heard anybody speak like him. So is this the moment? Is this the moment that changed James' mind? 
Is this the moment that changed Judas's mind, who is known as Jude in the Bible? Probably because he didn't want to be called Judas anymore. I think so. But you know, we don't get to hear a lot about Jesus' brothers. We don't get to hear a lot about Jesus' siblings at all. In fact, who else goes missing really in the, in, the, in, the, in the Gospels? Joseph. How about the dad? Where'd he go? But there is one more time. There's actually several more times, but there's one more time before Jesus ascends. It's actually at the ascension. Some of you are going to read this and you're going to go, wait, wait, wait. It doesn't ever give you a list of uh, specific people who were there. Yeah, yeah, it does. You've got to read a little further down. But imagine being here in this moment before we get to that spot. That moment where the cloud comes down and takes Jesus up and, and everybody's sitting there and they're, and they're marveling at it. That's this, that's this slide. The two men dressed in white robes. Says, hey, guys, what are you doing? Why are you still here? Jesus went to heaven. And by the way, when he comes back, when he comes back, he's going to come back the same way you saw him go. He also, you also can see something that's going on in the crowd, something that's going on with his most faithful followers. And to me, at this moment, these are the most faithful followers Jesus has built in his lifetime. These are the ones. The ones who got to see him ascend, these are the ones. They're with them to the end. And what are they asking? Hey, uh, Jesus, when are you going to restore Israel? When are you going to, like, um, take over the world and bring us into dominance and restore Israel? And he says something for the second time that he said in his life. He says, it's not for you to know when that time comes. Only the Father. But you guys will be my witnesses. You the faithful ones who saw me ascend will be my witnesses. First in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the world. So they go back after they leave the Mount of Olives. And they go back to Jerusalem and they go into the upper room. And this is right before the Holy Spirit comes and fills them. And then the day of Pentecost and the tongues of fire and the speaking in tongues and all the people being baptized. This is right before that moment. And they're in there and they're waiting on the Holy Spirit because Jesus has been telling them it's going to come way before he died. And he just told them as he was ascending, it's going to come. And who's there? Well, all the apostles. 
the women that never left Jesus, the women that were the first to the tomb, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. How many of them? Well, at least plural, right? Think James still, still didn't believe? Do you think it took Jesus riding on a cloud into heaven before he did believe? You know, as I studied this, many people took that theory. In fact, most of the biblical scholars I read reading up for this actually took the theory that James isn't converted until this moment. But I say if he wasn't converted before this moment, he would have never been there to begin with. So this is what we know about James. He goes from an unbeliever, even though he grew up in the same household as the Son of God. He, he grows up an unbeliever. And at some point, I think John 7, at some point, he has this moment where he realizes that everything his mom and dad have told him his whole life, everything that he's seen and experienced and the differences that he saw in his brother growing up his whole life, the way he speaks, the way the crowd responds, the way he challenges the authority who's supposed to know the word of God better than anybody else, the way they can't respond back to him and all they want to do is kill him for it. At some point in all that process, it clicks, just like it did with the crowd. And they wake up. He wakes up and he says, hold on. If they're not killing him, maybe it's because they know he's the Christ. So he goes from an unbeliever to a believer to a witness to the world. And if you go and you read Acts, you will find out that James, he's not just a part of the church. He's one of the big leaders of the church. In fact, when Paul gets converted and he goes back, the first person he talks to is who? James, who's there with James when Paul goes to talk to him? The elders of Jerusalem. That's who James is hanging out with. When Peter has the miraculous escape from jail, where's the first place he goes? He goes to James' house. Church tradition and history will tell you that all these leaders from all over the world came to Jerusalem and who did they look for? James, the brother of Jesus. They say even Cleopatra came and talked to him. He wasn't just a witness to the world. He was a leader of the church. He wasn't just the leader of the church. He was an inspired author of the Bible. And you know what his whole book is about? Practical ways to take your faith and put it into practice. To grow your faith and your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what the book of James is about. What about us? What about us? When we hear the words of Jesus, remember, he said this with his own words. I told you this was the part I probably should have highlighted that I didn't. When you, we hear the words of Jesus, do we know where he's from? Do we know who sent him? Do we hear another man's opinion or do we hear the words of God? You know, it makes a difference. 
You're not going to surrender your own opinion to something that you don't believe is the word of God. You're not going to surrender your own opinion to that. And last but not least, are we willing to follow him? Do we have that moment like James where we're willing to follow him, live out our faith, and tell others about him? You know, I'm sure at one point in James' life, he didn't even want to be associated. Just like Peter in the denial of Christ, I'm sure at one point in James' life, he didn't want to be noticed with Jesus either. But that's not where he was at the end. And going again to church tradition, you know how far James was willing to go? All the way to his death. All the way to his death to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? Have you been washed in his blood? Have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? You becoming God's temple, God dwelling in you, changing you from the inside out and also going with you wherever you go. And as, as, as Doug pointed out in Romans chapter 8 on Wednesday night, making us more than conquerors, making us somebody that who can stand against us? Because at the end of the day, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? Have you been washed in his blood through baptism? For those of us who have, are we living out our faith? But not only are we living out our faith like, oh, I don't lie, I don't cheat, and I don't steal. Are we living out our faith, which means expressively sharing it with the ones we love? If it's the word of God and God says, you cannot come to the Father except through the Son, Jesus Christ, isn't that the most important thing to tell your friends and family? Isn't that the one honest truth that you need to share that could actually save somebody forever? I want to end with this. I saw an illustration. I thought about doing it at a youth rally. I never did it. I thought about doing it here, and I thought maybe I'd get fired if I did it, so I never did it. But this guy, he gets up. This is going to be real quick. He gets up, and he's got a fishbowl. Okay? It's full of goldfish. You know the type of goldfish you can get for like 10 cents down at Petco. Those, comets, just a common goldfish. And he's teaching about the loss to this youth rally of kids. And he's talking about how, you know, all these people are being led astray by the world, by Satan, by evil, and they don't even know it. They're, they're actually completely comfortable with it because they don't know the way that they're going. And we as Christians, we have the truth and we just sit by and we just let it happen day after day after day. People dying and going to hell, and we're just letting it happen to people. That's what he said. You know what he did right after that? He walked over to the goldfish bowl, and I'm sure Pete abandoned him for life. But he started taking those goldfish and throwing them around the room. Just throwing them around the room. Imagine that. Imagine if Matt Robinson came into church and started throwing goldfish around the room. Some of you would be like, told you he was crazy. Some of you might even be offended. Guess what? That's exactly what the kids thought. So what did they start doing? They started panicking. 
They started panicking, and one by one, kids started running. Oh, i got to save the fish! And bringing it back up to the bowl. And when he was done, he looked at the crowd, and he said one thing, and I'll never forget, and I hope you don't either. He said, you got that type of sense of urgency to save a goldfish, but you won't even save your brother, your sister, your mother, your friend. Those fish need oxygen like you need Jesus. Where are you at? Where are you at today? If there's any need to respond to the invitation today, you can come as together we stand and sing. There's a fountain Thank you, Matt, for a powerful message about a, an eyewitness that should have been a believer from the start, but a uh, big change. I think a lot of us have been there in one form or fashion. Um, like I said, the, uh, the options are that the world just go on their own way or, or save each one. Um, on your calendar, there's a lot of opportunities this summer for something like that, beyond our worship, beyond our Bible classes, which we continue to have, which I encourage you to come to, very much so. Um, Bible camp has been a, a big thing. I know my kids have gone there. Uh, a lot of the kids here have gone to Bible camp one form or another, and they all come away from that week that they go a lot stronger. Those are uh, a good thing to do is the Bible camps for the kids. Adults, the ones that serve, come away stronger, and a, a good way to share their, share their faith with some kids. Uh, the Equip Conference is coming up at the Rosen Center on July 20th through the 23rd. It used to be the... Sun, oh, it wasn't Sunglass. What was the thing called? Spiritual Growth Workshop. I've lost that name, sorry. Uh, but it's a quip conference. A lot, of, uh, a lot of different kinds of speakers there. And I've seen some of the names of the keynote speakers. So that's in the, if you're able to go to the Rosen Center for that, I encourage you to do that. If you're a widow or a widower and you're looking for some special encouragement, uh, Dean Miller has a special retreat each, each summer. And uh, that's in July, too. And here in July 26th, 28th, we're doing Evangelism University right here. Uh, Rob Whitaker's coming from the house to house, heart to heart. He's going to put that on. Um, I encourage you, look at Rob Whitaker on YouTube or something. He uh, lives it, believes it. He will um, help each one of us, encourage us to 
go out to the world around us, go out to our brothers, our family, our friends, and share the Word of God. Um, so we're putting that on here, and uh, so you don't have to go out of town. It's just Wednesday through Friday night, but mark that one on your calendar. Just, uh, we encourage you to be here for that. And then late in August, polishing the pulpit in Sevierville. I went last year, Camille and I did. I know uh, the Gertises have been, Steve and Bebe have been. It's a, a lot of encouragement to that too. So I encourage you to any of those, if you're able to, to go to that. So this week, some things are going on. Tonight, we're going to worship at 6, and then we have the graduation celebration at 7-ish. We say 7-ish because of what goes on here, and when it's done, it happens. Uh, so you're not late. I encourage you to come at 6, come for worship, and then just stick around. So we're going to celebrate the graduation of Timothy and Mark, or Timmy and Mark, as most of us know. Just go ahead and stand up, guys. You just deserve it one more time. There we go. There they are. They got to milk it a couple extra weeks, but uh, hey, it's always worth it. So, anyways, come on this evening. It's always a lot of fun. Bring finger foods. Um, we have homemade ice cream if you can do that too. Bring that. On Monday, food pantry. So we're doing the food pantry here on Monday. So probably right now there's an opportunity here in a little while to bag bread and such back in the back. So if you can be part of that, be a part of that. On Wednesday night, it's tacos at six and singing at seven. We're uh, Singing is a part of our culture. It's what makes the uh, Church of Christ the Church of Christ. Um, I encourage you to come out. We're, gonna, we're working on our singing. We're going to do that the last Wednesday of every month. So we're going to have tacos at 6, singing at 7. So come out for both. Uh, I encourage you to do that. Hopefully we're going to learn some new songs, songs we've been singing that sometimes it's like, I don't know that song. Here's another chance to try it. So hopefully we're going to get some of that in there too. And the senior adults on Thursday are going to the Golden Corral. One more chance to dip anything and everything into a chocolate fountain. So sign up for that. Go have a good time. All right? Send me pictures. Right? Put them on Facebook. Right? There's no chocolate fountain anymore? They got rid of that with a Rona? Are you kidding me? They ruined the chocolate fountain. And that place is still open? So do something. Put three weird foods together. And while we're talking about that, uh, tuna and Tuna Helper, what we're doing for the food pantry this month. So bring in Tuna and Tuna Helper. Uh, this is te Tuna Tetrazzini somebody brought in. If you've never had Tuna Tetrazzini, they make it. And on the back, it even has a recipe on how to make it fancy. I know Matt Robinson wants to know this. Add sweet peas and shoestring potatoes. That's how to make Tuna Tetrazzini fancy. So bring that in. We pass that out with the food pantry. That'll be distributed in the month of July. Um, Backpack and school supply giveaway, we're going to do that, we'll do that every year. So there's a list on the bulletin board of supplies that we're needing, and you can see either Matt or Sue Sharp, Sue Coleman, however you want to call her, uh, and Sue Shumate have information on that. Um, prayer list, um, Matt talked about Leah, Leah is improving, she's gotten out of ICU and she's into progressive care now. She's doing occupational therapy and physical therapy, she's eating food, she's talking, she is Reasoning was the word that, that Chuck said. So that's, these are all very good improvements. So the prayers have worked, continue to work. Uh, continue to pray, continue to pray. She's also doing dialysis too. I forgot about that one too. So uh, continue to pray for, for Leah, pray for her mom, Linda, pray for, uh, pray for Michael. They, uh, they're all in it together. Uh, Betty Lerner had shoulder surgery this past week. So she's home, right? She's doing okay? She's doing pretty good. Okay, we'll take that. All right, we'll take that. I know Sandy Tagto is organizing food to take every other day or so. So if you want to help in some form, fashion, see Sandy. 
Um, and Jamie has a friend of hers that's on, she wanted to put on a prayer list, John Parker Gammon. Uh, he's her age, he's 19. He had two hip replacements. He had a second hip replacement this past week. He had one a couple, couple three weeks ago. Um, they think he has some kind of form of arthritis, which is deteriorating, that kind of thing. So uh, she'd like prayers for John Parker Gammon. One more giveaway. Last week we gave away uh, air conditioning filters. This week we have inkjet cartridges. These are for a brother printer. Um, they say LC203XL. If you, uh, if you have a brother printer and you use a cartridge that size, come see me. We have some to give away. This evening, 6 o'clock, Matt's going to continue his series on profits with a study of Hosea. And after that, we've got the celebration of the graduates at 7-ish. So, and then on Wednesday night, not doing Bible class, tacos at 6, singing at 7. So be here for that. Um, I'll reiterate it with Matt. If God is for us, what can stand against us? Carry that with you this week. If you will please stand for our closing hymn and then stand for the prayer that will follow. <clears throat> Father in heaven, holy is your name. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your kindness and mercy unto us, to us, Lord. Please lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, Father. Father God, I, I thank you, Lord, for all the wonderful work that you're doing through healing people in the church and helping people get better. We ask you, Lord, that you continue to do that. I ask you, Father, this week that hopefully that we would not have any more of those kind of issues with any members. But if we do, I ask the Lord for the same thing for them as well, that you would help them get better and heal. Father God, we ask you Lord, for your protection. Help us to be faithful to you this week. Help us, Lord, to be a light in this world and, and, to, and to not push people away, but to draw people closer to you, Father. And we ask you, Lord, that you bring us back here safely next week. And we ask you, Lord, that uh, you help us to study your word throughout the week and Sing songs of praise as we get happy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.